The reading tonight is Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the, the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Those of you who are keeping score will know that we have just entered... Lent, you may have had pancakes on Tuesday. Um, if you didn't, too late, that's it for another year. Um, um, but that means that Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And um, I had, well, a number of us on a sort of monthly basis visit Aaron Court Care Home, which is in the middle of the hall. For those of you who have been around for a long time, it's where the Golden Age pub used to be. And uh, Brian joins us, as do uh, some members of Christchurch and St. Mary's and anyone from All Saints? Maybe someone from All Saints. Um, And uh, we offered the week before last, would anyone like us to come and uh, ash your foreheads in the traditional way with a little bit of ash and say a prayer with you? And there was one lady who said, oh yeah, that was. So I thought, okay, I'll add that to my list of things to do on Wednesday, is pop in, say a prayer with her, ash her forehead. On Tuesday afternoon, I had a phone call from the care home saying, so we've asked around and we've got about 10 people who would like this happen. And I went, okay. So suddenly, instead of visiting one person, I'm leading a service. 
I quickly prepared service, turned up, and they said, well, we haven't been able to get them all out of their rooms, so you're going to have to go around. So I went around the care home with my little pot of ashes in my hand, and uh, the lady who hosts us was diligently following me around and asking questions about what Ash Wednesday is and what it means and why we're doing this strange thing anyway, which was really good. Uh, had the real privilege of going into people's rooms and praying with them and ashing their foreheads. And when you're in a care home, reminding people that they are but dust and to dust they will return, it takes on quite a heavy meaning. And then members of staff started going, oh, could we, while you're there, could I just, because I grew up in a Catholic church and I've not, could you do this for me? And everyone's standing around looking. And there was this real sense of this thing which is invisible which is the faith that all of these people carry with them, had been made visible, partly because we were doing a thing and being a bit disruptive, but also because they were all wandering around with blooming great crosses on their foreheads. It was a real pleasure and a real joy. And if I'm going to make a clunky connection with the sermon, it was a real sign of the goodness of God. There we go. One of the questions uh, that parents with newborn children quite often get asked, I've discovered, is, are they good? Which is an odd question to ask about a baby when you think about it, because they don't really have a concept of good or bad or right or wrong. It's not like they're waiting until the moment that I... When I say they, I mean specifically she, my daughter. Whether she's waiting until the moment that I drift off to sleep just before screaming and demanding my attention, or that she's holding in a wee until the moment I get her on the changing table and then letting it all out everywhere. But it can feel like it. But I think that actually what people mean when they ask that question is, does she sleep well? To which the answer is, unfortunately, not always, because she's a baby. And uh, so, no, she doesn't always sleep well. But the, quest the answer to the question they've asked is, of course she's good. Of course she's good. She's a beautiful baby. She's a whole person where there wasn't a person before created and loved by the God of the universe. So even when she soils herself, she's still good. And we talk quite casually about God being good. And I think sometimes we think about it as though, well, God's, is God nice or is God good to me? We talk, in fact, about how God has been so good to us when things are going well. Our God is good because we prayed and found a parking space. <laughs> or because we joined a new church and suddenly things in our lives seem to settle down a little. And I think it's really right that we celebrate the goodness of God when we encounter it in our lives in those ways. And the writer of our psalm today does it. But I do wonder, what about the other person who was also praying for the parking space and didn't get it? Or maybe um, the person who didn't pray but could have really done with it and had to walk a bit further because of it. I think we need to be really careful that we don't fall into an understanding of God's goodness, which is just, what can my God do for me here and now? 
The Bible says that all things work for good for those who love the Lord. But I don't think that's the same thing as saying, love the Lord and everything will go swimmingly. I think it means that actually in the toughest moments, God is still reconciling all things. God is taking our worst circumstances, and even though they are still our worst circumstances, shaping them towards his good purposes. God loves us and is for us, but isn't necessarily working to make my life as comfortable as possible in any given moment. Now, the Psalms, as we've already discovered today, over and over and over and over again, the Psalms speak of God being good. Like I say, not good because of something we can get out of him, or because he conforms to some moral code that we impose on him. God is goodness itself. God cannot be anything other than good. In the church that I used to be part of, and you can join in if you know the words, the vicar used to shout, love to shout, God is good! All the time! Oh, I'm glad you're with me on that one. It would have been a bit awkward if you didn't. Um, and he's in good company. Julian of Norwich, who was a, a, a mystic in the 14th century, said, I know that heaven and earth and all of creation are great, generous and beautiful and good. God's goodness fills all of his creatures and all of his blessed works full and endlessly overflows in them. God is in very nature good. It is impossible for God to do or be anything other than good. So when God creates the universe in Genesis 1, he looks at his creation and he declares, it is good. In fact, he does it seven times. Goodness in our world is there because it bears the imprint of the one who created it. I think we often think that the only place that we can find God might be in church or in worship or in when we're doing churchy things. But actually, I think the goodness of God is out there in the world waiting for us to encounter it and to give thanks to God for it in the plants and the animals, and the landscapes, and the painted skies, in human flourishing, and relationships, in ingenuity, and creativity, and sports, and arts, and all of human achievement, and in so many other places. Yes, we do live in a world that is not all that it was created to be. But that doesn't mean that there's no goodness to be found anywhere. And where we find it, we should give thanks to our Creator. We can find God's goodness in all sorts of surprising places. And I think part of a life in Christ is delighting in God's goodness when we find it and joining in. Now, there is a caveat here. Because we, don't, we want to be careful about ascribing to God all sorts of things that aren't good. People do all sorts of things that are not good in God's name and claim God in doing them. So I remember when I was a teenager, I do, uh, and the breakups 
would often go along these lines. I just think that God is asking me to break up with you. It's possible that I may have even said that myself. And it's entirely possible that those relationships weren't God's best for me. But mostly, this is just teenage boys, and it is usually boys, I have to be honest, trying to excuse themselves when they're breaking a girl's heart. We can end up using God to baptize our bad decisions. And we are remarkably good at excusing ourselves, of of assuming that God is on our side. The Crusades, slavery, the historical treatment of women around the world. History is just littered with people doing awful things and acting as though God endorses it. And just as God's goodness means God is present in the good things in the world, that means that God is in opposition to everything that's not good, whether it's out there or whether it's in our own hearts. God's goodness challenges us to see all that is not good in us. There may be some things that are very dear to us, which are in fact in opposition to the goodness of God. And that's why we come to God and we confess. Now, in all honesty, there are times in my life where I struggle to hold on to the goodness of God. When events in the world circumstances in my life or the lives of my friends or in the lives of my family just overwhelm me. And I really struggle to understand how God can possibly be good in the midst of it all. I have, in fact, found myself at times standing in this room singing about the goodness of God and not really believing the words that come out of my mouth. (coughs) And in many ways, I don't know if that's always an unreasonable response. There are plenty of psalms where the writer says, God, where are you in all this? God, where are you? So if that's you, I don't want you to feel beaten up by a sermon about the goodness of God. There is grace for all of us in all of our circumstances and perhaps the fact that you've made it into this room at all is a sign that God is drawing you in even in spite of any misgivings you have. And if you would like someone to pray with you, please grab me quietly after the service and I'd be really happy to do that. But in his commentary on uh, Psalm 46, another psalm that mentions God's goodness. Charles Spurgeon wrote that um, God is good not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes even closer to us than the storm could ever be. That is why we take refuge in him. You are invited tonight to taste and see that God is good.
not to wait and see if God is good. We're not waiting for God to prove himself. As if God is only good once he's done something for us. We trust that God is good and we seek to encounter that goodness. In the Gospels, when the rich young man comes to Jesus, he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And I think Jesus is sort of trolling the guy a little bit there. He's pushing him back to see if he can really see who Jesus is. Because if we want to know what goodness looks like, we cannot do better than to look at Jesus as we encounter him in the Bible. We see God's goodness as he comes to earth in the form of a vulnerable baby. And I think if someone asked Mary if Jesus was good, she could only have one answer really, couldn't she? We see God's goodness as a man who gathers others around himself and offers healing and forgiveness. We see God's goodness in a man who broke bread with those who were left out and left behind. We see God's goodness in the, in the comfort, but also in the challenge of Jesus' teaching. Some of you may be very, very familiar with the stories of Jesus, and others may be a little bit fuzzier on the details. But I encourage you, whoever you are, to dive into the Gospels, to taste and see that the God we find there is good. Because if you read on, we encounter the surprising truth that God's goodness looks like Jesus on a cross. That God's goodness looks like him giving up power to set us free. That God's goodness looks like his resurrection and his ascension into glory. This is good news because it is news of a good God. There is a deep, deep joy to be found in knowing that our good God is standing with us in the face of all that is not good in our lives. In allowing the light of Christ to shine on all that is not good in our world. And discovering that through Christ, each one of us is able to participate in the goodness of God. Taste and see that God is good.